I want to start out this evening by giving credit where credit is due. I'm stealing this sermon from Mr. Josh Richards, who gave me this idea this evening, and graciously let me run with it. I want to ponder the cross. It's the theme of the evening on this Good Friday. We've read the scripture. We've sung about it. We've heard it played about. We know that the cross is central to our faith into this time of year, but what is it? What is the cross? How should we view the cross? And what does it mean to us? Songs have been written about the cross. We've sung an awful lot of them tonight. George Mueller wrote a particularly good one. He said, I saw the cross of Jesus when burdened with my sin. I sought the cross of Jesus to give me peace within. I brought my sins to Jesus. He cleansed me by his blood. And in the cross of Jesus, I found my peace with God. I love the cross of Jesus. It tells me what I am. A vile and guilty creature saved only through the Lamb. No righteousness or merit, no beauty can I plead. Yet in the cross of Jesus, my title there I read. I clasp the cross of Jesus in every trying hour. My sure and certain refuge, my never failing tower. In every fear and conflict, I more than conqueror am. Living, I'm safe. Or dying through Christ, the risen Lamb. The cross. It is the symbol of our faith. We have one hanging on the wall behind us, usually lit up. Many wear them about their necks or on charm bracelets. Our Bibles are often adorned with depictions of the cross. Many of you have them in your homes. The cross, what is it? How should we view it? And what does it mean? Well, for just a couple minutes this evening, I would like for us to consider three views of the cross. And we can see these three views of the cross by considering three different men who had a very real experience on that very first Good Friday with a very real cross. And let's see how they viewed the cross. First would be Simon of Cyrene. Second would be the Lord Jesus Christ. And thirdly would be the nameless thief on the cross. Each had an experience with the cross, which is instructive. For example, Simon's experience, Simon of Cyrene. Simon's experience was that the cross was something to be born Something to bear, something to carry. You may remember Simon of Cyrene. Simon of Cyrene was just this poor guy who happened to be passing by on that first Good Friday, coming in from the country with his two kids tagging along. Jesus had been so badly beaten and so weakened from the ordeal already that he just simply could not carry the cross, and he fell beneath the load. And the Roman soldiers uh, decided to impress this man, Simon of Cyrene, to carry the cross. Matthew chapter 27, as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. Also, Mark chapter 15, they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. And Luke chapter 23, as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. So how do you suppose Simon viewed the cross? As he pulled it away from the trembling arms of the Savior and as he felt its tremendous weight and lifted it onto his shoulders. As he felt its rough surface dig into his shoulders, into the side of his face, perhaps. As he began to trudge down the road with it weighing heavy on him. What did it mean to him? How do you suppose Simon viewed the cross? Well, I'm thinking he considered it a burden to be born, a weight to be carried. 
Simon's experience was the cross, was that it was, it was something he had to carry. It was a task to perform. It was a work to be done. And that's kind of a common view, isn't it? We experience a hardship and we say, well, that's just my cross to bear. An acquaintance lives a life filled with tragedy and pain, and we say they have an unusually difficult cross to bear. Or we walk through the cancer ward at the hospital, and we see some who have seemingly been sick all of their lives, and we ponder why that is. And the thought comes into our mind, I wonder why God would give them such a difficult cross to bear. Someone loses their job and a well-meaning friend says, God's just giving you a bit of a cross to bear right now. A friend asks, how are you coping with that problem relationship? And you reply, he or she is just my cross to bear, I guess. You ever use that kind of language? You ever heard anybody else use that kind of language? It's just my cross to bear. In other words, the cross is something we carry just like Simon. It is a work to be done, a task to be accomplished, a penance to be completed, a price to be paid. And, of course, Jesus did say, didn't he? If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me in Matthew sixteen twenty four. But was that what he meant? Was carrying the cross, doing a work like Simon carried the cross, what Jesus had in mind? Or was he thinking of something else? Well, let's think about his view of the cross. Maybe that'll help us. Because Jesus' experience was the cross was something else. Jesus' experience was not that the cross was something to be born Jesus' experience was that the cross is something on which to die. You see, he saw it as his purpose for being here. At his birth announcement, the angel had made it clear that Jesus would save his people from their sins. Jesus knew and said that he had come to seek and to save that which was lost. And he saw the cross as the hope for all mankind. In John chapter 12, he said, I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. And this he said, signifying by what death he would die. He knew from the beginning that he would be crucified, lifted up on a cross. And he plainly knew and he understood that his death was necessary and our only hope. He said in John chapter 12, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. So without question, Jesus experienced the cross. It didn't culminate as Simon's did with his bearing it. His experience with the cross culminated with his dying on it. Matthew 27, then they crucified him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Mark chapter 15, it was the third hour. And they crucified him. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Luke chapter 23, when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus' experience on the cross makes it plain. The cross is not a burden to be buried, carried, but a gallows upon which to die. And also, Jesus knew that only he could accomplish what needed to be accomplished there. I couldn't do it. I'm a sinner. I have my own sins to pay for. I could spend all of eternity paying for my own sins. I couldn't do that. Neither could you. But Jesus, he alone was without sin. And therefore, he had no sin of his own to deal with. And he could thus choose to pay the price for yours instead. And he was the only one who could. 
Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So how should we view the cross? Simon's experience is insufficient. The cross is more than something to be borne, more than a burden to carry. And Jesus' experience was, was unique. Only he could die on the cross for the sins of others. So how should we view it? Well, maybe we can understand if we look at that third guy. The third man, one who carried his cross alongside of Simon and one who died on his cross alongside of Jesus. Let's see how he viewed it. The thief. You see, the thief's experience was that the cross is something in which to trust. Something in which to trust. Matthew chapter 27, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and another on the left. Also Mark chapter 15, with him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. Luke chapter 23, there were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He had carried it. He was dying on it. But he knew it was not enough. And having borne his cross and realizing that he was dying on a cross, lost and without hope, he knew he needed something more. And so he turned to the man on the center cross, and he believed him. And he turned everything over to him. I have not yet mentioned the verse which I consider my text for this evening. It's in Isaiah chapter 45 and verse number 22. This is the verse that brought Charles Haddon Spurgeon to Christ. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22, Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Look to me and be saved. Look to me and be saved. To the thief, the cross became something to look to. And the man on that cross became someone to believe in. And so he did that. He looked, he believed, and he was saved. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me. That wasn't said to Simon after he carried his cross. That was only said to the thief after he looked to the cross. Those who attend here regularly know that I absolutely, of all the preachers that have ever lived on the face of the earth, that I'm aware of anyway, Charles Haddon Spurgeon is my favorite. One of these days we'll get to heaven and I'm going to sit down and compare notes with Charles Spurgeon. Tremendous preacher. Let me read from his biography just a little bit about how he describes how he came to Christ. When he heard that verse, he had been struggling and, and, and wanting and seeking and trying to understand the gospel, and he couldn't get his mind around it. And listen to what he says happened to him. He says, I quote, Sometimes I think I might have been in darkness and despair now, had it not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm one Sunday morning when I was going to a place of worship. When I could go no farther, I turned down a court and came to a little primitive Methodist chapel. In that chapel, there might have been a dozen or fifteen people. The minister did not come that morning. Snowed in, I suppose. A poor man, a shoemaker, a tailor, or something of that sort, went up into the pulpit to preach. 
Now it is well that ministers should be instructed, but this man was really stupid, as you would say. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason he had nothing else to say. The text was, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. He didn't even pronounce the words rightly, but that did not matter. There was, I thought, a gleam of hope for me in the text. He began thus, my dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now that does not take a great deal of effort. It ain't lifting your feet or your finger. It is just look. Well, a man need not go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A man need not be worth a thousand a year to look. Anyone can look. A child can look. But this is what the text says. Then it says, look unto me. I, said he in broad Essex, many of ye are looking to yourselves. No use looking there. You'll never find comfort in yourselves. Some look to God the Father. No, look to him by and by. Jesus Christ says, look unto me. And some of you say, I must wait the spirit of working. You have no business with that just now. Look to Christ. It runs, look unto me. Then the good man followed up his text in this way. Look unto me. I am sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me. I am hanging on the cross. Look, I am dead and buried. Look unto me. I rise again. Look unto me. I ascend and sit at the Father's right hand. Oh, look to me. And when he had got about that length and managed to spin out ten minutes or so, he was at the end of his tether. And then he looked at me under the gallery, and I dare say, with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger. And he then said, young man, you look very miserable. Well, I did. But I have not been accustomed to having remarks made on my personal appearance from the pulpit before. However, it was a good blow struck. And he continued, you will always be miserable in life and miserable in death. If you do not obey my text, but if you obey now, this moment you will be saved. And then he shouted as only a primitive Methodist can, young man, look to Jesus Christ. And I did look. And there and then the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away. And that moment I saw the sun. I could have risen that moment and sung with enthusiasm of the precious blood of Christ and the simple faith which looks alone to him. Oh, that somebody had told me that before. Trust Christ. And you shall be saved. Look. Simon of Cyrene, Jesus Christ, and a nameless thief. About 2,000 years ago, all three of these men, on a Friday, had very real experiences with a very real cross. And their experiences speak to us on this Good Friday 2,000 years later. How do you view the cross, my friend? How do you view the cross? It's not even close to sufficient to believe it as a burden to be borne, a task to be performed, or a work to be done. Scripture is clear that such will not save you. The thief had carried his cross, and he knew it wasn't enough. And only Christ himself could view it as a place on which to die, for only one without sin could pay the price for sin. Only Christ could die for your sins, for only Christ had no sins of his own to die for and to deal with. No, the only right way to view the cross is the way the thief viewed it, as something on which the Savior died, a thing to look to for salvation. And so tonight, on this Good Friday, look to the cross if you have not looked before. Look not at it as a burden to be borne or a load to be carried. Rather, see the cross as something on which the King of glory died. 
and then look to it and look to him and look to the Lamb of God bleeding and hanging and pinned between heaven and earth for your sins and for mine. Look and believe. Look and live. Where the blood of Christ was shed, cross of Jesus, cross of sorrow, where the blood of Christ was shed, perfect man on thee did suffer, perfect God on thee has bled. Here the King of all the ages, throned in light ere worlds could be, robed in mortal flesh is dying, crucified by sin for me.